0: Hey, what's going on, guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor back again with another Sermon Review. Welcome back. This week, we are going to be looking at a sermon review, uh, a sermon given, rather, by Eric Mason of Epiphany Fellowship. Uh, this was given on June 6, 2021, entitled, The God of the Upgrade By Dr. Eric Mason. If you want to watch this as always without my commentary, link will be in the description below. And if this is your first time here, let me kind of describe what we do. We go through weekly different sermons and we review them looking for red flags, looking for good things. What can we learn? What should we listen for? Those are the kind of questions that we're asking so that as we all engage in sermons because we have the internet and we have the ability to view sermons whenever we want as well as uh, the cities and towns we live in there are lots of different churches so maybe some of you aren't established in a church and you're looking for one well the one of the questions you have to look for or have to ask rather when you're looking for a church is you know is this are these sermons good are they biblical do they look at uh, the context, the language uh, of the text we're looking at. Do they dig out the truth in the scripture uh, or do they add us to the scripture? Most importantly, do, is the gospel preached, right? Uh, is the fact that we're sinners mentioned? Is the fact that Jesus saves us by his life, death, and resurrection? Is that mentioned? Like, uh, Is the gospel given to those um, that maybe need to hear it for the first time? So that's what we're looking at. So Uh, These are an hour long. If you are new here, um, you'll know that uh, we listen to these uh, at normal speed. So we are not probably going to get through this whole thing. We'll get probably close to it because we're already starting 51 minutes in. Uh, The worship, the announcements, everything beforehand has already been given. And he's starting to preach at minute mark 51. So that's where we're going to be. So let's not delay. Let's get into this once again if you want to watch this uh, without my commentary
1: link in the description below, let's go. Need some more in the fullbacks, just a little more in the fullbacks. Um, open up your Bibles for me to Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 and 21. All right. I think y'all can read with me this time. One, two, three, read. Now unto him who is able to do, keep going. Uh Uh-huh. In Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. I would like to talk about in this time, that's a dangerous
0: thing to do in a church just as as, as a
1: note because um, you're assuming
0: that everyone has the same translation like we the church I attend there's probably I'd say given on a Sunday three four five different translations that people have within the congregation <laughs> so if you're if you're gonna do that um, obviously not all translations say the same thing like there's there's a couple different word changed around but it's enough that it,
1: you can't read it all together like that so interesting Uh and tag this text, the God of the Upgrade. The God of the Upgrade. Let's go before the Lord God Almighty. Lord God, you are our God and you are the one who charts our journey. And God, I pray that as you chart our journey that we would walk our journey with you confidently. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. You may be seated. The God of the upgrade. We, um, I know we're in graduating season and so many um, students are graduating. Let's give all of our students, God, give, give, give them a hand praise for, God a hand praise for their season. My son is graduating and I know a, a lot of other people are graduating during the season. And so a season like that or any other type of season or even transitional season that you're going through or the desire to transition is always filled with dreaming. Somebody say dreaming. dreaming. Oh, man. With this our first Sunday back in Y'all can say dreaming. That-
0: okay, so uh, one of the things we want to look for in sermons or one of the things you're going to look for in sermons is how the introduction is brought up, right? So what we've talked about in the past, if you've watched any of the past sermon reviews, there's a couple different ways to do it. Some people start with a story to intro into the text a little bit. Some people read the scripture first and then go into the scripture. Some people do a little bit different. Um, Eric here, uh, Dr. Eric Mason, is gonna do this sort of reading the scripture, introduction with a story that then leads him into the scripture. So what we wanna do whenever we're looking at that is saying, okay, are the examples being used are they helpful or hurtful to the text so do they take away are they really distracting as far as the length of the story the details in the story are they distracting To what we're trying to learn from the text or do they actually you know exemplify what's happening in the text and help us understand it better and that's one of the things we want to look for because that's incredibly important is it something that actually draws us into the scripture more or is it detract and that's what we're looking for so as he gives these examples um those are the things we want to look for is it helpful or is it hurtful uh to the actual text that we're looking at
1: that don't sound that's that sound like dead folk right there uh 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 let me hear you say dreaming God, God God, God, doesn't mind. How many of you know that God doesn't mind if you dream? I, I want you to free yourself today because God has no uh, uh, issue with us dreaming. The issue isn't with dreaming. The issue with is with what we dream and what's the motivation for it. And, and one of the things that I believe that we need to expand our vision for and our theology in is being invited to dream big because your dream... Uh, should always match God's heart, God's glory, and God's purpose. Let me say that again. God's God's heart, God's glory, and God's purpose. And, 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 so, and so it's very important for us that we would begin to, uh, as we want to get into different seasons, that we begin journaling and being passionate about seeing great things happen in our life. You should be optimistic about your life. Uh, uh, You you shouldn't be down on your life. The reason why is because my Bible tells me that he came to give me life and life more abundantly. And because he came to give me life and life more abundantly, you have to be careful of letting the struggles of your life strain the vision and dreams and desires that God wants in your life. Now, this is not a motivational sermon. I'm telling you right now, it's a deeply gospel sermon. It's not your your run-of-the-mill usual purpose sermons. It's just one of those things that wants to help you to have a more Biblical and optimistic outlook on life and what God has for you. You should be passionate about it You should be pursuing about it. You should be studying about it. You should be learning about it You should be praying about it. You should be developing about it You should get more and more depth in what God is framing and shaping in your life That's why the Bible says the plans of a good man are established by the Lord Many are the plans of a man's heart, but God orders his steps
0: So real quick one of the things that he acknowledged and kind of set before us here was that he knows that some of this is going to sound like uh, like a motivational speech or like a like a, a purpose sermon but he wants to set the stage that it's not a purpose sermon like a hey you know you can do all things sort of thing but a a deeply gospel sermon then those he he sets that up and says okay so this isn't just you're running the mill you can do this, do that. Purpose sermon. There's actually something here that he thinks is very important, uh, and it's actually gospel-centered. So those are he's setting up that kind of criteria for himself. So these are the things you want to you want to listen for, right? Because I, he acknowledges, and I mean, I this is the first sermon I've ever um, seen of Dr. Eric Mason. Um, I think any, the only thing before this that I've seen from Dr. Eric Mason is uh, I read Woke Church. Uh, past that, my interaction with him is that's it's limited. Um, but uh, he does seem to have the wherewithal to uh, to acknowledge the fact like when people hear what he's saying, they're going to default into like a, oh, this is just motivational speech but he wants to confront that before he even gets very far into the sermon in order to say, no, 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 come with me, stay with me. this is actually going to be incredibly gospel centered. So he sets that up. So as we listen now for the sermon um, as we listen to the sermon, those are the things we want to keep in mind. He said this isn't just a running the real purpose thing. This is a gospel-centered thing, so he set that standard for himself. Um, and sometimes I think it is important as pastors, if you're a pastor, to acknowledge that. Like we talked about this also before uh, in these videos, but acknowledging what you're saying and what they're hearing. So that may be two different things, but you you have to kind of anticipate what the congregational pushback is going to be address that as you know that pushback's going to come so that they stick with you through what you're saying uh, even if they have you know maybe an inclination to be like oh no he's just he's just saying this you can address that before you get too far in the sermon and keep them with you as you work through the scripture and that's this is what it seems like uh mason's doing here is um saying no i know what you're hearing and i know what you're thinking but this is not what this is not that and then he wants to pull them along as they uh as he goes through this sermon
1: uh, So so, so in other words, there's an expectation that there's planning. And so interestingly enough, this passage uh, 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 packaged here in this text is one of those passages that's an invitation to dream. But even before Paul gets to it, this is really a hinge passage in the book. Because in chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, he begins with his theology that gives him the framework to even... Get to this point that he's at right now. Uh, It it says in chapter 1 that God the Father, uh, he he chooses us, God the Son. He saves us in God the Spirit, he seals us. And then it goes from there to talking about the depth of intimacy that he wants us to have in order to open up our eyes and our understanding to be illumined to the depths of the scriptures. <laughs> and then chapter two begins to talk about how messed up we were because he talked about the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. In other words, uh-uh, getting saved isn't you seeking after God, it's God seeking after you. He said we were sons of satan sons of the devil uh sons of perdition sons and daughters of perdition but then it says in chapter 2 verse 8 9 it says for by grace are you saved through faith it is a gift of god that no man should boast meaning that only way you got saved was not any meritorious work of your own but it was the meritorious work of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone and then it goes from there and it does something interesting it says we are his workmanship in verse 10 created in Christ Jesus for good works beforehand that we should walk in them. I wish I had time to spend on that but it's interesting that before you got saved God created good works for you he's just waiting for you to walk in them. In other words, God has already charted your journey with, you don't have to go trick-or-treating to get treats. God has some treats waiting on your journey for you, waiting on the road. And That's why you got to walk with God, family, because there's some stuff waiting on you that God wants to give you that your walk with God turns you towards. I love that word, the fact that that word says, we are his workmanship. It means masterpiece. Picasso don't have nothing on what God has created in you. The dark cause has nothing on what God has created on you. No no painting, no type of artistic design because God not only made us as a artistic creation, he made us to be creative. And in making us to be creative, he gave us the ability to dream. Dreaming is a part of the creative genius in God working its way into your life to work its way out of your life. Dreaming isn't asking God to join you in what you want to do. Dreaming is the ability to be aligned with God in aligning your passions with God to do what you were artistically created to do. Chapter 3, he begins to go through and tell us the fact that the church was the mystery of God. And, And he begins, in telling us that we're the mystery of God, he wants us to preach the rulers and authorities as we preach the gospel to people. People get saved. Rulers and authorities are no longer over them anymore. Then he gets here and he gets so happy in the middle of the book and he takes a parenthetical pause. Paul's take a parenthetical Pentecostal pause as he puts down his pen in his pericope. And what he does right here is he begins to put down the feather. Now you got to understand, Paul isn't writing this in a... T-
0: okay, real quick, because he's about to shift and go into the text. But so what he just did there was walk through chapters 1, 2, and into 3. So I get, some of you clicked on this video just because it was a sermon review on Dr. Eric Mason. And some of you have... Either, either either you really, really like Mason or you really, really don't like Mason for some of the things um, that he's written or said. And I have opinions on that, but what you need to do is, when you when you at least listen to a sermon, and that's the point of these sermon reviews, when you're listening to the specific sermon, is the sermon good? Um, now, at the end of the sermon reviews, we always talk about, hey, would I recommend listening to this person all that? That's all conjecture and that's all my opinion. But when we're looking at the sermons, we, we have to say, despite everything else we know about this person is this sermon good Um, does it contain things that are are helpful um, or not and what we see here is he as he went through chapters one and two into three talking about what is there I mean he presented the gospel he's talked about Paul presenting the gospel what that looked like how he was explaining it to those in Ephesus I mean this it was all good This is exactly what a pastor should do when, especially when you're working up to a text that's in the, maybe the middle of a narrative or middle of an um, epistle is you're working up to and explaining to those that, that are in the congregation that maybe haven't, I mean, they haven't been in as much study as you've been all week. So they need to be caught up a little bit because who knows the last time they read in this case Ephesians, like, you don't know. So you want to catch them up with the high points of the epistle or the narrative. So they at least know what's happening, what's been said, why the text we're looking at is so important to why we're looking at it in the first place. So what he did there was really helpful. So in the introduction, like we talked about, he he went in with dreaming what that looked like for graduates. He did not camp on that point, thankfully. And then he went into God ordains the steps of men. There's not a lot of planning. I mean, God God's the one that plans all that out, that puts all that through. Um, so that was a great introduction, an introduction into the text, and then he moves from the introduction into explaining chapters 1 and 2 into 3, giving great context and this idea of what Paul brings up to the Ephesians up to this point, so that when we get to chapter 3 in the text we're looking at, we know what's happening. And I up to this point, like these, this is this is great study, and I think, again, I don't know a lot about uh, Mason, but I think he he's been a professor at some point, maybe even of Hermeneutics. Um, I'm I'm totally unsure, but every example that he's given as far as how to to put it, uh, not example. Everything he's done in this sermon is a great example of how to prep an intro into the text you're looking at. This is this is really good. Um, again, I know that I mean I have some issues with things he said. I know maybe some of you do. Some of you really love him. Regardless of where you stand on it, what's happened up to this point is really good. I mean, this is exactly what we should be looking for in a sermon uh, as far as leading up to the text and the intro and getting us kind of interested in what's happening. So that being said, he's about to go into chapter three uh, and start going through the text that he's presented this morning. So let's see now that we pivot from the introduction and the background and the context into the text we're looking at. Let's see what uh, what he does with the actual text
1: tower. Oh, y'all ain't with me. Paul isn't writing this in an office filled with books. He's not writing this at an ivory desk. Listen, Paul isn't writing, writing this with hardwood floors in a new industrialized shabby chic place in Center City. What he is writing this is out of a prison. In other words, he's writing the fact that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you ask or think from a prison. Now, if anything... He should be frustrated and depressed. Now, you got to know that his prison wasn't like our prisons that gave you three squares a day. It was a pretty rough prison. As a matter of fact, not only was he in prison, he was in prison for something that he didn't do. So he has the right to be angry because of why he's in prison. He has the right to be angry because he's in prison. He has the right to be frustrated because of his condition. But he did not let his condition get in the way of his dreaming. Now unto him. And so... What we see here is a beautiful fusion of a passion for somebody to not let their circumstances stamp out what God is able to do. What are you going through? That you began to shut down the creative faculties of what God wants to do in and through you. As a matter of fact, some of the best creativity comes in a crucible. Uh Hell be today. And and some of your best stuff comes when you're frustrated. Some of your best stuff comes when they left you. Some of your best stuff comes when it's economically tight. Some of your best stuff comes. Matter of fact, God comes in your life best when you don't feel like and think you have anything to give and then all of a sudden under the oil press of his anointing he presses some stuff through you I wish I had about two or three people that's ever been in something and you thought it was all over in your life but all of a sudden somehow the the, the creative juices started flowing I know I'm by myself I'm excited because I need constant encouragement from the Lord so this brings me to my first point. point first point the God will upgrade number one
0: Okay, so he's about to go into his three points, but before he does, let's look at what he just said. He's kind of introducing us uh, to his three points by way of looking at what Paul was going through, that the situation Paul was in, uh, he makes the contrast that Paul wasn't sitting in like some really nice library and some really nice city, he was sitting in prison when he writes these verses that are going to be the center to his message today. So keeping that in mind... That's going to give us sort of the base for the the points that he's going to lead out on. The first one being the one he's about to introduce, but that's the idea. That's the lens in which we're viewing these points through. Is that Paul is in a prison writing these verses, not in some beautiful, wonderful place, but in a prison in which um, you know he's probably mistreated, he's probably you know mishandled. There's things that are not you know being done justly or fairly. But in that context, Paul is writing the verses that we read today. Um, And now he's using that, again, as a framework to launch into his point. So let's get into his first
1: point. Unhandcuff your dreams. You have to unhandcuff your dreams. Now, 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 now many of you think you, you just need to dream bigger. But Paul, what I like about what Paul is about to say is Paul is about to let you know that your dreams are never connected to what you think you can cause to accomplish and happen. It's key. He starts it off before he even talks about praying big prayers. He says, "Now unto him." <laughs> I, I wish I had me a Pentecostal Baptist church in here. The church mothers would have been standing up with their fans, looking at me like I was crazy. Now, now unto him. But see, some of y'all don't 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 know, and y'all don't kind of have any type of framework for for enjoying that because you don't know who him is. And every now and then, you got to remind or introduce believers to who him is. Him is the one who stepped out on nothing, called into nothing, and something had to obey. He brought Israel out of slavery. He challenges our triumphs. He decreed your salvation. He decreed Christ to die. Matter of fact, he's, he, he's, he's, he's Abraham's ram. He's Adam's redeemer. He 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 he's, he's Joshua's battle axe in other words he's all everything and everything he's Matthew's a uh, king he's Mark's suffering servant he's Luke's son of God a uh, son of man and he's John's son of God if you ever had anybody if anything in your life to recognize who God is, you should have been with me right there, but maybe that don't get you. He's heart fixer, mind regulator, uh, oh, he, he's a healer.
0: So he he makes a point, which I think is really good here, um, where he says, you know, if this doesn't hit you, maybe you don't know who who he is. If, If you don't understand who God is and what he's done in the past and what he's doing in the present and what he's going to do in the future, then that doesn't excite you. I mean, that, that's Eric's point here, is that if you don't understand what he's done in the Old Testament, and Eric walks through and gives some examples in the Old Testament, if you don't know what he did in the New Testament, he goes through and he, he really surmises what each gospel writer kind of and puts, you know, titles Jesus as, um, then you don't know. And if he's not done things in your life, then you—you you not don't, you, you don't praise him because you don't see what amazing things he's done. And that's kind of his point leading in here is that you just, if you don't know God, then You're not excited about him and that was kind of his kind of jab there and i think it's important sometimes and some pastors are a little scared to do it where it's sort of oh you don't get it okay well you don't know who he is then like they're afraid to say that and that was sort of the the very gentle jab that uh mason just gave to his congregation oh you don't you're not excited all right maybe you don't know him right and that's the idea of kind of kind of to goad you along, right? <laughs> to be like, to keep your attention, to poke you a little bit uh, in the middle of the sermon. Um, to kind of, again, to, to, to kind of just agitate a bit in order to keep your attention and to get you
1: asking some questions. You can't dream until you know who he is. Because when you're empowered by who he is, you and handcuff what you think he can do. Matter of fact, or what you think can be done. Some of you, God is calling you to some stuff, and you're already doing the calculations. God, how that's gonna work? Listen, God, listen, listen, listen. You ever went to dinner with somebody? He's met you, I remember we used a seminary. And um, you know it's tight in seminary, grad school. And um, we went to dinner. Now, I didn't know what the restaurant was until we got there. Mm. I got there and I had never been to a restaurant that didn't have prices on the menu. Um, it's one of those places, if you gotta ask, you shouldn't even be in that joint. You know, you, you know, I was like, it just said market. It said MKT, I didn't even know what that was. I said, what is MKT? Is that like a, a Roman number or something? I, I'll trying to figure it out. And I'm sitting there like, dang, man. They ordering, they started ordering appetizers. yakowisms everywhere. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I may need to drink the water. <laughs> Tell them, you know, I'm fasting. You know, I'm with the Lord right now. And so I said, um, yeah, man, um, um, yeah, I- I- I'm probably going. And they was like, e, what's wrong? I was like, you know, I'm good. And they looked at me and what, they didn't try to embarrass me because they knew what was going on. They said, nah, we got you order what you want. I said, order what I want. I said, so Garcon, Garcon, come here Garcon. I start my whole Steve's changed up. I, I was like, Garcon, come here, bring me some of that lobster, bring me some of them, them cocktails, give me the da 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 da. In other words, because there was someone with me that had more than I had, I didn't have handcuffs on what I can ask for. Why? Because the person with me said they got you. When you got God on your side, listen, you got a blank check on your side. You don't have the limitations that you think you have if it was based on what you had in the bank, if it was based on what your mental capacity was, if it was based on your endurance, you would have nothing. But when God is the one refreshing you and developing you and nurturing you and pushing you along the way, he can do more than you could ever.
0: So he's getting to the point there, and the, the, I want to stop real quick because that was a really good example of how to tell a story to exemplify what you're trying to say without camping in it too long, right? I mean, the idea, and I think everybody got it. I mean, you just listened to the same thing I did. But the idea here being is if you know who God is, you know that he doesn't have limits, that, that, that when you're with him, there's this blank check. Now, I think you could take that either way, right? I think if you were to have a prosperity preacher say that, then the he you know the prosperity preacher would go to like that's everything like you you're there's no limits and I think uh, Mason does a really good job here of not taking it that far but rather saying that like if he mentions mental capacity right so there's certain things that you don't think you're able to do well with God endowing you and uplifting you and giving you the strength and the knowledge then you do have the mental capacity to go far beyond what you think you're able to do because God's the one doing that right there's lots of things that I've seen many people do that they didn't think they were able to do or to accomplish but because God was in their life and the spirit was leading the spirit was giving knowledge that they were able to they were able to do they were able to go far beyond what they thought their their capability was because god was the one that was with him in that situation and that's his kind of point there is that um he uses that illustration to push forward the first point he's already looking at which is that like if you know who god is you know that this isn't like there's not he calls it handcuffs so there's no handcuffs on the situation in regards to restrain or restrict you there there's this freedom because you know who he is to be able to to enjoy in that freedom of who he is. Um, so I think that was I wanted to stop because that's a really good example. Like the example he just used was wonderful in being short and summarized, yet full of uh, of of life to give to, to help us be like, oh, okay, that's what he means.
1: And then he does it and moves on, and the point is made. Dude. So now one to him, to him, him. You you gotta you gotta you gotta have some him in you. You you gotta you gotta see you run to you run that's why the psalmists always started their prayers out with adoration and praise. Because adoration and praise magnifies the massivity of God before you get to asking him for stuff. Because if you just get to asking for stuff without acknowledging in your soul who he is, you'll limit what you ask. But when you start off your prayer, that's why we was taught in Sunday, See, some of y'all who have been to Sunday school, you taught adoration and praise, confession and repentance. Uh uh, uh and then after that, what's that? Prayer and petition. That's what we went from there. Amen. That's what we taught, that's what we taught. And and praise and thanksgiving. That's why we begin the service off with praise and worship. Because it's a, it's 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 a it's a doxological uh uh a uh, 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 disposition by which we
0: just time out we're not going to look at that, but if you go back to what he just said, like that would, be, that would be noteworthy to write down. That was some good stuff.
1: Allow the liturgy of worship and praise to, 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 to spew the atmosphere and to mace the atmosphere with the glory of God so that the, the, the ministry of everything else will flow under the presence of God. Is your life filled with knowing who he is? See, you know you're weak in knowing who he is if when it's time to give him some adoration and praise and you only got a few things to say. And let me, let me just encourage you to do something. Get up your praise and worship dialogue. You, you got to know that he's majestic. You got to know that he's omniscient. You gotta know that He's omnipotent. You gotta know that He's full of grace. You gotta know that He's abundant in loving kindness. You gotta know that He's just. You got to know that He's your all and your all. When you begin to learn how to talk to God and know the intricacies of who He is, it magnifies the massivity of His glory in your life. Some of us have to, God is, listen, some of us have a little God. Now, God is already big, but in your mind, He's small. Because God is from everlasting to everlasting, your mind is really, your your walk with God is expanding to how big He is. In other words, you and I have to constantly work through, can God do it? The reason why we even ask that question is because in our mind, God is a certain size but what's the the beautiful thing about God is God doesn't even let our size quotient get in the way of how massive he is and what he can do in our life that's why Paul says now unto him because he knows that the situation that he's in is a tight situation but he knows that the God he serves is bigger than his situation and so he says now unto him but then he goes from there, who is able? Stop right there. All
0: right, so he's about to go into his second point. But I want to stop and kind of review the first point. So he went through a couple different examples to push home this reality of how big God is. And I think that's important um, for a couple of reasons. One, as a pastor, obviously you know your congregation or you have an idea of your congregation and where they're at belief-wise and there's going to be like so mason's going to push in on different points than maybe you're going to push in on and you know vice versa the idea here being that kind of to know where your congregation is spiritually to know their walk with the lord so that you can kind of press in on those hard points my guess would be and this is just a guess but as hard as he pushed in on that he really wants to at least remind them of how big god is because maybe I mean, we're we're apt to forget. We are so apt to forget. So I think it's you know just you're gonna need to press in on that a little harder maybe than Mason does, depending on your congregation, or maybe a little lighter depending on your congregation. But the idea here is that he really used a couple different examples in case they missed one or didn't really connect with one of them. A couple of different examples in order to really show how big God was and how oftentimes we forget that. So anyway, I I. I I think he did that really, really well. And it's one of the things as pastors we have to keep in mind that um, sometimes it's going to need a little bit more foot on the gas and sometimes a little bit less depending on what point you think really needs to be pressed home based on your congregational's need.
1: Who is able? Now, we're not just talking about who him is now. We talk about what he does. Because because you, you, you can't just know who he is, somebody can have the title all they want. But the question is, do their works match their title? Sure. <laughs> I've heard many fighters getting some fights and they, 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 I mean, they can promote a fight. You ever seen a dude fi- promoting a fight? I seen a dude get up in a face and a dude facing. He was all doing like this, putting his fist on his forehead. He had tats all on his face. He's looking crazy. Got in the ring. Everybody said, this dude is going to kill this dude. Three seconds in, do this sleep. He did all of that talking based on position and a belt, but really didn't have the skills to back up that title. Our God has all the titles, and he has all the skills to back up his talk.
0: Real quick, I would say that if you're looking, if you're a pastor especially, or if you're training to be a pastor, and you're looking for – um You know, somebody that does examples well, I I can't speak for the rest of Eric Mason's sermons. I just simply can't. But what he's given in this sermon alone is a really good example of what you would look for, right? So I have no clue, nor does it matter what title or fight that Mason's talking about. It doesn't make a difference. And that's the point, right? He didn't name names. He didn't say what year. He didn't say the fighters that were doing it. He didn't say, go look it up and like really look, say, hey, in this fight, he did this and then the guy. He just. He gave a really short summarized version so that you got the point and then moved right back to the text about who God was. right? Uh, Showing that oftentimes (laughs) the title and the talk doesn't back up the walk, whereas our God has the walk and the talk that does back up everything he said. And that's a wonderful example, again, to bring that out. I'm excited to see what other sermon uh, examples he uses because I've watched this once, but I honestly, I don't remember what he uses next. But the idea here is that these are great examples to pull us in to exemplify the text instead of distracting from it. It's really, it's really just raising it up so that we can understand it better.
1: And that's the beauty of knowing God is that God, listen, listen, listen. It says who is able. The word there is dunamis. It's the word, the word for able here is the word for power. Uh, which, which points to God's omnipotence. God is all-powerful. Oh, you, I wish I could just rest there for 30 minutes. He's all-powerful. Now, 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 the reason why him being all-powerful is important is because there will be times in your life when you're moving forward and what you believe God called you to do, what you're dreaming God wants you to do, and what God planned for you to do, where you will experience roadblocks. I guarantee you there is nothing you will do in life that won't be filled with roadblocks. You'll have financial roadblocks. You'll have board roadblocks. You'll have neighborhood roadblocks. You'll have people blocks. You'll have financial roadblocks. You'll have all kinds of roadblocks. And I've, one of the things I'm learning and continuing to learn is the roadblock is an opportunity for you to recognize and implement faith in God's ability to overcome that particular obstacle. Listen, if, if, if you ever, listen, in your life, guarantee it, there are going to be things on your road that will position you to short-circuit your faith. But as a believer in Christ... You have to have the capacity and the ability to recognize that God is able, even in the midst of natural inability. I remember they told my wife and I.
0: So real quick. So he's going to do another story. So I'm sure this is going to probably be very beneficial as well. But the idea being is that he knows that, and this is what I was talking about before, this idea that to anticipate the congregational pushback a bit, Because there's times that as congregants, we're sitting in the audience, right? And we're listening to this sermon being done. And somebody says something, and then like automatically we go, yeah, what about this, though? And he seems to anticipate that when he says that, uh, that God is able to do, talking about what he's able to do, and everything he says he can do, he can back up. But all of a sudden, like in our head, we go, yeah, but what about? And then he addresses that, yeah, but what about, right away, whenever he says, yeah, there's going to be roadblocks. Yeah, there's going to be stuff in the way. But this is what they are designed for, and this is why they're here. So I want you to see how beautifully this is put together because he's, an, he's able to anticipate what you're going to say to the fact that he says, well, God is able to back up everything he says. He knows that there's probably going to be a couple people say, yeah, what about. And he goes, yeah, and all those blocks, all those yeah, what abouts, God's put them there for a reason as well. And then he moves on. He's about to move on to the example here. This this demonstrates, and I, I, one thing I do want to point out here, this demonstrates somebody that has spent some serious time, I would say. I mean, again, I don't know him. But this seems to be somebody that sat down and really considered out this sermon flow. Not only the text of what he's looking at and what he's presenting, but also this... The, the assumed pushback or questions that are gonna come as he's prepared so that when he when he's preaching he can just build that in and then keep moving on. Like so all of the sometimes there's pastors that preach and there's these criticisms that come and they're just like, what is this all about? Where'd this come from? Uh, and it sort of you know it deters them, it slows them down, it, it distracts them, it discourages them. Whereas <laughs> Eric Mason here seems to anticipate it he consumes it and uses it to, to push the sermon on, right? So there's a couple ways as pastors we can do that, right? We can we can get discouraged by the pushback, or we can consume it, use it to actually push forward on through the sermon with the anticipated feedback we get. Now you're gonna get pushback you didn't anticipate. I get it, that and there's discouragement is gonna come, but there's ways to at least kind of prepare for it. And that seems to be what um, Dr. Eric Mason has done here. So he's gonna give another example here. Let's see um, kind of how this brings out the text as well.
1: Now, we would never have any kids. I remember that. I remember that matter of fact, they told us to abort him. They said, cause her body can't take a baby in her. So in order to save her life, abort him. And my wife said, I'll die before I do that. The doctor looked at us like we was crazy. And um and and, and 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 you know when you hear kind of reports from people, you know you, you, your heart flutters and then then this is the bad thing you do you start getting on the internet, and then you begin then you begin spending all this time, talking about people who have this what usually happens then the list just go red. Just all this negative stuff. And then next thing you know, you're taking an anxiety megas- medicine because you don't know what in the world you done got. Your, you don't looked up this and you done looked up that. Now you done got on YouTube. YouTube would just start. You get on YouTube and somebody, some doctor with a white jacket on talking about what the usual statistics are. And you hearing all of this stuff, what the statistics are and what the research is from the PhDs and from the MDs and from the, from the nurse practitioners and from the experience. Then you hear testimonies of people who lost somebody and you just got your mind all wrapped up in faithlessness. Yeah. And then we had to say, it was times we had to say, babe, let's turn this off. This is not doing us any good. And, And so what we began to do is we said in the place of investing, in our hearts and mind, that doesn't mean don't know what's going on with yourself medically, but you can't be so invested in what can't happen that you can't trust God for what will happen. And they said all of this stuff was going to happen to him. He's going to have Down syndrome and all of this stuff. Then he ends up coming out, and he was in Nick unit for, 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 for six weeks. And what I did during that six-week period with all the tubes in his body, I would go up there before work, during lunch period after work and at night, and I would pray over him four times a day with my hands on him because they said he may not survive. They talk about how he was, and I just kept going to the hospital. But somehow, this Friday, he's going to be 19 years old. He's going to be 19 years old. So 19 years ago, they told me he wouldn't survive, but he's sitting here in his right mind and in health because we said no one to... Him. Yeah, you better, you better stop, you better stop letting, I'm telling y'all, some of y'all have locked your minds away because of some folk tale somebody told you. Let me tell you something, God ain't finished with what he wants to do in your life. God isn't finished with the breakthroughs that he wants to give you. God isn't finished with everything he wants to bring your way because he loves to do stuff that's out of the ordinary to show us that he's better than the natural. That's what he loves to do. Listen, listen, let me, let me, let me tell you something. Everything God calls you to do, you need supernatural resilience for. <laughs> If, if you don't learn how to have some type of resilience, that resilience comes from looking at the eternal one himself, who is the most merciful and truthful and powerful one. Now unto him, and then it says, I like this, this next part, who is able, able, point two, upgrade our prayer capacity. We have to upgrade our prayer capacity. Look at what it says. To do above and beyond all we ask or think. The, 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 the word there in the Greek is the word means super abundant.
0: So one thing I want to, to look at before he gets too far into his, his third point here is or his second point i forget what he said it was but is that he keeps going back to walking through this verse so this is what we're looking for as well um when you're when you're hearing a sermon it's very important that we're looking to say is what's being said grounded in the text now you have to be a little careful with that because we've seen sermons before where it they keep going back to the text but it's just to keep it's just to go back to the text and twist it again so that's why context is important that's why language is important that's why um you know noting things down that somebody says that may be a little questionable to double check later that's why all of these are important uh blindly trusting and a pastor is just preaching up there is a little problematic in a lot of regards but one of the things you want to look at as a as as a very helpful thing something that's like not a red flag. Like this is definitely what we want to do is to go back to the text every single time. So look at the text, make a point, give an example, maybe clarify it a little bit, walk through the context, the language, if necessary, obviously for him, the context isn't important because he's already brought us to that point, but looking at the language, bringing out the richness of scripture, which Eric's, uh, kind of rhythm seems to be, get to this 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 one word, these couple words, bring out the richest snare, move on to this other, bring out the richest snare, bring, and then move to another section and bring out the richest snare. It seems to be at least what he's doing in this sermon is this rhythm of here, example, another verse, or another couple words, example, another couple words, example, and then tie it all together. Um, but that's what we want to look for. Because I don't care, at all how smart uh dr eric mason is which apparently he seems to be fairly intelligent uh, well not fairly like super <laughs> like he seems to be very intelligent so the idea here being is that even though he is what i want to know is is he going back to scripture every time is what he's saying being grounded in scripture and that seems to be the case and what he's doing in this sermon at least is going through and really bringing out that richness so the first section was we we're looking at You know, look how big God is. And then the second was, look what he's able to do and how he backs that up with his actions, despite the things that are in our path, Um, which sometimes his point was to bring us closer to him and to see just how big he is from his first point. And now he's going to move on to the third. We're not going to get all the way through the third. Um, We got about 15 minutes left in the sermon review. I like to try to keep them in an hour. But let's see what he says, and then we'll kind of summarize uh, everything at the end.
1: And every now and then, Paul has to almost make up a word because there's really no word to talk about how God does stuff. Okay. So he had to he he had to kind of he had to kind of work this phrase out. Soup He now unto him who does super abundant. Now, he did, it didn't say a, a lot of us add a word in here. A lot of us say now unto him was able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask that's not in the text any translation we, we always add that can that's that's key to remove that because he says now unto him who is able to do far uh, to do above and beyond all we ask or think in other words God only upgrades what you actually ask
0: now I think his next point so leading into what he says here so I didn't do, again, any textual work on this passage before watching this, so it would be a good note to take to go back and verify what he says here. But what, as far as the the word not being there, but what he did do is do what we've talked about, looking at the text, looking at the word usage, looking at the original language, and he pulls out this, this point that says, sometimes we put in can ask when the can Paul doesn't say can ask Paul says that we do ask and he's going to build off a point on this that I think is really important um, not only to his point but just to the when we're looking at the text and saying you know what does this text say what does this show us about God how is it applicable to modern day believers Um, when you're asking those questions this is a very important statement to make because there is a huge difference between we do ask or we can't ask and he's about to go into that we'll let him i want to let him go through that point and then we'll kind of stop and we'll summarize
1: god doesn't upgrade silence god doesn't upgrade thoughts god upgrades what you open your mouth and say to him hear me today in other words god has in his economy a mechanism to—he exp- he loves to expand what we tend to not necessarily believe he can expand or even expect him to expand. When he says ask or think, he says, listen, what you are able to ask me or able to think in your mind, I can do well above that. In other words, some, some translation says Imagine. God loves it because when he upgrades what we ask or think or imagine, it actually upgrades our understanding of who he is. Yeah. Remember, it's now unto him because now the, the purpose of God answering these type of prayers is not for you to get the thing and be wild by what he gave you. Please hear me. Right. The purpose of it, listen, is for you to have a bigger hymn in your mind. That's the purpose of it to have a larger and a bigger hymn in your mind so that you and I can take off all of the limitations that we will have in our mind to expand our gospel vision that's what God wants to do god wants to God wants to add some stuff to the to 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 the to to the deal for you because I don't know if Paul uh saw all that will become of the church globally now do you think when he was sitting in that prison cell do you think that when he was lonely at the end of his life in second timothy chapter 4 and he was alone and he's, he he just he, he asked for a few things bring me some books bring me a, a bible and bring me my cloak he said everybody has left me can you imagine the depressed man that's about to go to rome to be beheaded because he appealed to Caesar, what is in his mind of the scope of things? He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. One of the largest writers of the New Testament had to get shepherded through depression by one of his disciples in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6. Do you think he would ever think that because of his ministry, globally, 2,000 years later, people would be preaching and reading from a letter that he preached. He could have never seen that ever in his mind. He was just hoping maybe the churches that I've sent this to could get this. But God did above all he could ask a thing by making his writing generational.
0: All right, so we'll stop right there. You can watch the rest of it again. Link in the description below. We stopped at one hour, 18 minutes, 45 seconds, if you want to pick that up. I want to summarize the uh, the sermon here, and we'll summarize. We'll end with what he just said. So, what I want want to see is that again, we need to acknowledge that lots of times, a lot of these sermon reviews we do, um, people have perspectives on the pastor from what they've said, maybe outside, maybe what they've written, maybe you know things you know about them. What the purpose of the sermon review is, whether it be Uh, Stephen Furtick, Greg Locke, um, any of the guys we've looked at, is to say, okay, what does this sermon show us? Is this a helpful sermon? Is this sermon done well? That's the purpose of sermon reviews. With this sermon review, I'd have to say this is a great example, especially if you're a pastor or learning to be a pastor, of what it would look like to uh, kind of prepare a text, uh, to walk through it, anticipating maybe the pushback and then building that into the sermon with examples that are incredibly well done so they don't distract from the text they actually help the congregants see the text better and continually go back to the text time and time again to keep walking through it Um, we saw that with the introduction we saw that with his first point where he really expands on how big God is we saw that on the second point where he he shows that God's walk matches up with his talk despite the roadblocks that are in our lives God actually uses those to help us see again back on point one how big he is and then he goes into abundantly more than we can ask or think and he really builds upon this point where it's this this idea that like God can do way more than you're even praying for and believing him for. He can go way above that. And he uses Paul's letters as an example of that, saying, do you think Paul thought that we today would be sitting here looking at the things that he wrote? No, Paul didn't think that. We have no indication that Paul would have thought that. But the idea is that God used that in order to bless the nations, in order to bring more people to him, to be able to teach us who God is and what he is capable of. And Eric Mason walks through this and really develops this sermon in such a way that he always goes back to the text. He makes a big point, goes back to the text, brings a big point, goes back to the text. Now, again, there's going to be some things if you watch the rest of the sermon that a couple things he says that are a little ah for you. Uh, But I think altogether this this sermon uh, was really, really well done. Again, I don't know a whole lot else about Eric Mason other than the kind of the blips that I've seen on the radar of news articles and stuff like this. But this sermon, if this is all I have to go on, I would say by and large, I I can't see to where listening to him would be bad for you. Like it seems that if this is indicative of his preaching style, this is good. This is this is uh this this has been helpful. This has been really, really well done. And I think it might come to the point to where Um, there are certain pastors. So there's, there's certain pastors that you listen to and you just say, no, that's terrible. there's certain pastors that you go that I, I not only agree with the way they're, they're preaching, but I agree with their doctrinal stances. And then there are some pastors that I think this is where Eric would fall for a lot of people that say like, this is a really well done sermon. I disagree with some secondary doctrinal stances, but I don't throw him totally out because obviously the preaching is solid. Even if I disagree with secondary doctrinal stances. So there's sort of those three categories there that I think are helpful as we look at sermons as well. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for watching, following, subscribing, all the things you do. If you find this video helpful, make sure you like it. If there's something maybe I said here that you disagree with or some point that maybe you would have brought out that I missed, leave that in the comment section below. I'll talk to you next week.